Hello and welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast or simply have an interest in sport, you have come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation and as always, a little bit of entertainment. Well, how are you doing? Are you glued to the Olympics? I know I am. In fact, I've moved the laptop to the living room and have the TV on all day long. I just can't get enough of the games. There's not much work being done and even less sleep being enjoyed, but watching the Olympics is considered work. Isn't that right? Yeah, of course it is. The triathlon races this week were incredible. From the heat and humidity of the men's race to the wet roads and treacherous conditions of the women's race, it was well worth staying up way past my bedtime to witness some triathlon masterclasses. Both the men's and women's races didn't disappoint in terms of excitement, drama and excellence. Let's not mention the speedboat at the start of the men's race though and the false start, which added to the drama of that event. I have to say my heart was in my mouth for almost all of the bike section in the women's race. I covered my eyes a couple of times as they took some of those technical turns and tight corners. Congratulations to the new Olympic champions Christian Blumenfeld and Flora Duffy, their fellow medalist Alex Yee and Hayden Wilde in the men's race with Georgia Taylor-Brown and Katie Zafiris rounding out the podium in the women's race. For a full race recap, check out the comprehensive race reports by Emma Porter over on www.trytalkingsport.com. She didn't miss a beat of the action. If those races didn't whet your appetite to fire up your swim, bike and run training and go race before the end of 2021, then I really don't know what will. Congratulations, of course, also to our two Irish Olympic triathletes, Russell White and Carolyn Hayes, who did us proud in Tokyo on their Olympic debuts. I can't wait to see what comes next for them both. There are lots of other athletes doing us proud in Tokyo. I'm looking forward to seeing how the games unfold for them across a multitude of sports. There's going to be some more marathon television watching going on over the next couple of weeks. Back to the action closer to home. There are a number of triathlon races in the calendar coming up over the next few weeks. Have you raced or are you planning on racing? Last weekend, the King of Greystones Triathlon took place under glorious conditions. This weekend sees a few more races go ahead and as we move towards September, yes, September, there are plenty of events to choose from, whether you are dipping your toes in the sport of triathlon or chasing a personal best. Now is the time to get out and get racing and embrace the thrill and excitement of that finish line feeling. Speaking of a finish line feeling, in this week's episode, I chat with Lydia Dant from Team Passion Fit, who was the women's champion of Ironman 70.3 Staffordshire just two weeks ago. And just prior to that, Lydia won the outlaw half in Nottingham by 29 seconds. The accomplished age group athlete had been dabbling in bikes and bike racing for a while before picking up a bit of swimming and running in 2013, which saw her dipping her toes into triathlon. She had mixed results over the next two years, study, work and life, getting in the way of any major triathlon training and sporting ambitions. That is, of course, until she decided to tackle Ironman Wales in 2018 as a route to getting back to structured training and embracing the sporting lifestyle she had enjoyed previously. It was joining Team Passion Fit in 2018 that her journey as a triathlete really started to take shape and notably her ability and tenacity as an athlete began to shine through. Her results speak for themselves in recent years with a 7th overall in Weymouth 70.3 in 2018. She was first in her age group at Staffordshire 70.3 in 2019, a 14th overall result for her. Racing at the 70.3 World Championships in Nice in 2019, she was 17th in her age group. 
She finished first in her age group in Lanzarote and has taken the top step of the podium at the Cotswold 113, the Western Burt Duathlon and the Chile Duathlon. Coupled with the overall wins at Outlaw and Ironman 70.3 Staffordshire recently, the Phoenix is most definitely rising as she embraces her life in sport not only as an athlete but as a businesswoman and proud owner of Phoenix Evolution Bike Fitting Consultancy. Enjoy the show, it's a good one. Lydia, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Fresh from your win at the Ironman 70.3 Staffordshire. Overall female winner, a sterling performance. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. How are you today? Yeah, good. Thank you very much for asking me to come on to the show. It's not the first time we met. and We had met many times before because you are a member of the wonderful Team Passion Fit. The team are always on the finish line, cheering everybody on. And it's absolutely incredible community. Yes, it's absolutely awesome. It definitely helps that our kit is quite uh, distinctive, isn't it? But yeah, always there, always present. And there's always so many of us. <laughs> but you certainly don't miss the Team Passion Fit crew uh, on, a, on a race day. You only miss them when they're not there. Exactly, exactly that. Lydia, I want to talk to you about your journey in triathlon. You have taken the triathlon world by storm, really, over the past couple of years. You were the winner of the recent Outlaw half and you obviously won Staffordshire. But where did this passion for sport start? Well, it's always been there. So sport's always been a part of my life. I can't think of a moment in time since I was younger, where I haven't been involved in some form of sport, whether it was be playing netball at school uh, through to when I first started playing hockey when I was like 12. I've always had that constant of sport and just given everything a little bit of a go. And I, yeah, just always had some form of sport. I never kind of took anything too seriously. I like I had the opportunity to go for county trials at hockey when I was younger and I I didn't take it, which is one of those moments I look back and think, oh, maybe I should have should have done that. And then when I started to, uh, when I went to Loughborough University to do my undergraduate degree, I started to play hockey with a couple of the teams up there in the university team, which was quite exciting just to go to trials and actually get onto a team at Loughborough University was quite an exciting moment for me. Um, that's when I actually started road cycling as well. So I'd always gone out on my bike. It sounds like I'm a bit of a loner now, but I did used to take myself out, myself out for, for rides when I was, yeah, a lot younger. So I can remember just from the different bikes that I had over time. I remember I thought oh, I want a full sus bike because they look really cool. Realised how heavy it was as I was cycling on a family holiday. So went and looked and changed bikes to something a little bit lighter and then decided to cycle at home. So it's always been bikes. I used to just get maps and plot out routes and just take them, just take myself off. And now looking back at probably, I literally probably only went down the road, but <laughs> I used to try and drag my sister out as well. She didn't really buy into it at all. Um, but yeah, I just used to head out on my bike and then decided when I got to Loughborough, this was a great opportunity with it being such a notoriously sporty university to get involved with a proper cycling club as I'd never worked out how to do it or I'd never bought a road bike before so I bought a really basic road bike I did a bit I did research into it and found that the recommendation was get something with carbon forks I wasn't 100% sure why at the time but people said it was lighter and it'd be more comfortable so I went for that and found it was about 500 quid 
uh, Trek 1.2 WSD, and <laughs> that was my first road bike. I played hockey for two years when I was at Loughborough and then decided in my third year that I should probably just focus on one sport a little bit more, as well as doing my dissertation and third year finals and everything that came with that. Um, when I was at Loughborough, I mean, I had such incredible opportunities. I was really, really fortunate that the lads in the club just helped. They didn't look at my bike and think just because it's a 500 pound road bike, that it's anything less than their bikes that were worth absolutely thousands. When I look back now, I realise like I'm now that person with that kit, but they built me up a mountain bike because there's a mountain bike race up in Scotland. They built one up and it had um, like cable ties all on the top tube, which scratched my legs up beyond belief. But I was there and I gave that racing a go. Uh, they took me to velodrome and I gave that a go as well. Uh, road racing, I think I definitely came last in that road race. I ended up riding around it was with with this other girl and we just ended up chatting. So it was just kind of a glorified day out because we got dropped on the first hill. I definitely underestimated how quick some of those athletes were. And then I tried time trialing as well. Through those couple of years, I gave everything a go and every opportunity that came up, I just said yes to. And I had no idea with the majority of it what I was doing. Like for the first road ride that I went down and met everyone, you always meet at the fountain at Loughborough. And that morning I'd been there deliberating. I was like, I need to get one of those jersey things because that's that's what cyclists have, so I'll fit in. And then went back down to the local bike shop and just found the cheapest one that looked okay and had a little bit purple in. So I thought it'll fit in, that's left for purple, that'll be that'll be all right. And then I got back and was thinking, right, I need to get myself, what do I do? Do I take a rucksack with me? Or how do I carry things? So I was at that level that I just had no idea what to even take with me on a ride at all on this group ride and luckily I'm glad I didn't take the rucksack now um, in hindsight that probably wouldn't have looked too cool but those are all the sorts of things and the questions I just didn't know the answers to at that point in time um, but just thought right we'll just give it a go and see see where it like takes you after that point and so I wasn't actually until oh, 2013 when I decided to consider triathlon so I'd come back from a few months traveling and is that sort of post, like you get, I started a job, I started working for an NGO on smart technology and water efficiency. So it's a European Commission funded project. So I started to do, yeah, an actual grown up job at that point in time after spending a few months sat on beaches, getting quite nicely tanned. And also was like, right, I need to get back into some form of sport again, because over over my time, there's always been that structure with when it's been, you're, you're at school, three, two, I'd always carried on with team sports. And then at university, there was that natural setup again, where I was involved with both the cycling and hockey teams. And so I knew for me that I needed that structure and sport provided me with so much just to be, to be involved with it. So I started to think about, right, over winter, for some reason, I came to the conclusion that training for a triathlon would be more practical in winter than just cycling. And I think it's because I thought, well, I can just go out for a run and I can go into the swimming pool and you can't really cycle in the dark. And I did have a turbo trainer back then, but I never really worked out what to do on it. And it just didn't seem that that appealing. So I was cycling at the weekends. I found a local cycling club to go out with. We used to go out for epic cake stops and just started to, to enjoy it. And again, just nothing specific. I think I did maybe like one or two swims a week if that and I had no idea I never learned really how to swim 
I had swimming lessons, but that constituted of if you can not drown when you jump in the pool with your pajamas on, then you're okay. That was it. So, uh, yes, I got through the wind and then decided to enter my first triathlon, which is a local uh, sprint distance race. This was in May and then decided to enter another one in June. And I don't even know where I came in those. I completed them. But then I started to get a bit more involved and look at what other opportunities there might be in triathlon and sort of set myself a few goals. So I decided to, this was 2013, and decided, right, by 2014, maybe I could try and qualify for uh, the GB age group triathlon. Because that, again, seemed to have a direction for me. I quite like to see where else I could progress. And uh, in 2014, I did qualify to race uh, the Olympic distance uh, in Geneva and I started to at that same year I started my master's so I'd gone from doing a geography undergraduate degree working in water efficiency and then decided to do this is a super snappy title a master's in water science policy and management it literally just rolls off the tongue that and I again so I joined the university club and started to train with them and some really good athletes there and I was also fortunate to receive a scholarship award through the Vincent scheme and subsequently met Roger Bannister as well, which was pretty, pretty cool. I remember pinching myself as I was walking back through Oxford that evening thinking, I can't believe that's just, that's just happened. Um, this then funded, helped to fund to go and race in Geneva. So this is my first properly large race. And I think I was well, firstly, I know you're looking back at it. So I thought that I'd go there and probably do quite well. Like, I, I don't know why I had that notion in my head at all. Um, but it was an absolute disaster for me. So I got in the swim and was like, well, I don't know about this. I think I just not, I was underprepared. I was probably delusional in what it was going to take to actually race there. So I was more just there. I've never actually looked at the results from it. Um I just, yeah, it just wasn't the race that I thought it was. Like it, it might have been, but I look back and I realise all the other areas that now I know how I approach my training and all the other areas you should look at and the standard is so high, I just hadn't prepared in the right way at all and probably wasn't ready to have made that step to, to race at that sort of event, really. So after that, I started a new job. So this is where I moved to Seven Trent Water and started to move around a bit. So I think this is now the longest. I live in Cheltenham now. This is now the longest I've lived in one area since 2009. I've moved every like six to 12 months-ish between yeah 2009 to 2021. So I, I, I moved again from Oxford through to Warwick and then Gloucester, Cheltenham. And I never during this time between sort of 2016 to 2018, never got back into regular sport. I was doing stuff. So I'd go to the gym or go to the pool. I started to cycle to work again, but I never really got back into it, like with the sense of purpose that I had before. So when I was at Oxford, I was right, really, really self-initiating my training. I'd just join in every single session possible. and really enjoyed it. And it just seemed to be that I just, when I was then, moving around, starting a new job and finding that group didn't really happen for me. Like I tried going out with a local run group and it was okay, but it wasn't really the thing that it didn't really initiate that spark within myself again. So I decided to be a little bit drastic and as we all probably do, enter Ironman Wales. 
as you do as you do (laughs) as you do again this is it's just exemplifies my lack of knowledge or preparation around it uh similar to probably Geneva was where I didn't actually know that that was one of the it's notoriously tough isn't it I didn't really know that time I just saw okay it's in September this is January I need to do something big scary goal Ironman Wales 2018 (laughs) I have no idea what I was even thinking at that point but I needed to do something I, I felt like that was the impetus to get back into training and for whatever reason just the the Olympic distance triathlon wasn't really enticing me in such a way and so I was like right this is going to be this is going to be it. I'm going to actually do it this time and get it all bit back together and get that routine and structure that I like in my life and that's what sport's always probably given me is that routine structure and having that purpose of what is it you get for up and four in the morning and it like I was enjoying work but it was also something else that was just missing that I needed and so at this point this is when I need to do this properly this time I could I was thinking about writing like a training plan myself and starting to do that and I'd kind of done that before when I'd been training in Oxford and I was like right Ironman's a totally different ball game I have no idea what I should be doing or how to do it and also after Geneva I actually want to prepare and prepare to the best of my ability I don't want to just I felt like before I'd just been winging it and enjoying it like absolutely enjoying it and loving it but I just kind of been going out on my bike and doing some cycling and hadn't really ever applied myself in the way that I knew I was capable of but not really too sure how to make that happen and also with I was down in Cheltenham this way so then I found passion fit coaching and I was like right this time I actually want to feel like I'm part of a community and belong in an area again as we're just moving over all of those different places you never really had that sense of belonging you know it's just nice when you walk down the street and you bump into someone you know and that's also what I was missing was that community element and having a group of people with the sort of right the same sort of mindset and values and attitude towards training and triathlon and just generally that wider lifestyle piece as well and it's important as well to have that kind of that that crew as well. It's like, you know, for some people, it's joining a triathlon club and, and getting better at all three sports and having the social aspect. But for you, you were gone beyond that point, maybe to join Passion Fit, to want a little bit extra. So you wanted the specific coaching as well as that community and that lifestyle piece as well. And enter Tom and Lauren Ward, then, I guess, at Team Passion Fit. Exactly that. Yes. Yes. And that's what really enticed me about passion fit as well because I'd looked at a few local clubs and it it, yeah I just decided that I wanted something that was going to give me that wider community piece and when I went and spoke to Tom and Lauren initially and went to my first group run as well it was I was so nervous going to that group run I remember it so well but it didn't matter to anyone you turned up and it was everyone was so welcoming and like genuinely welcoming as well there was that level of sincerity around it like they wanted to help you and and I remember going through that first group run and I was just yeah dreading it I was really nervous I I don't know if I'm going to make it around the 10k route and I'm not the most naturally social person either so that for me is quite difficult I'm really I'd say I'm introverted and I slowly warm up over time when I get to know someone so like Steph who I train with and Lauren they're brilliant like people people and um it was like Steph is like actually 
helping to like naturally warm me up I guess and and introduce myself so I never felt like I but I wasn't I think ever welcomed you, yeah <laughs> I, I think whether you're introverted or extroverted turning up to the first time to anything on your own uh, regardless of what it is is a difficult thing for people to do I think people think that maybe the likes of me might take it in my stride to turn up to something and not know anyone mm. but you always have those nervous butterflies of like will anybody talk to me will I make a fool of myself will I be able to do the session you know so I think everybody has those those doubts and thoughts that go go through their head but you managed to get that run done get the session done and look at you now how, how long ago was that that you joined Team Passion Fit? So that was in 2018 in May 2018 um, so yeah, it's a few years ago, ago now, and yeah, that first group one was interesting. But no one, it didn't matter to anyone like if you were fast or not fast because it, it's not about that at all. Because there is no sense of ego. It was you were there and you were just applying yourself in the best way possible and just looking to see what you could do. And it's about your own journey rather than being distracted by those sorts of external factors about oh, what's your ten kpb. Like, didn't no one no one else no one even knows like anyone else's because it's not about that at all so what it's is just, your 10k pb what is your 10K i've no i've no i've no idea i've no idea not got a clue at all i'll have to ring tom and ask him he won't know either <laughs> <laughs> you had signed up to wales you joined uh team passion fit and you started uh on that journey with the crew there at uh, towards weymouth i believe is is where you headed so towards. initially it was for wales Mm. and but this was in May that I started and Wales is in September so we actually decided so I had quite an honest conversation with with Tom about this and he was like look you could you could get round but you have not given yourself enough time to prepare like if you're going to do an Ironman I'd like to be coaching you for 12 months at least before we get to a race so I considered it and yeah reflected and thought actually you know what if I'm going to do this I want to make sure I get to that start line and think I've given myself the best chance possible and prepared in the best way to execute a race that I feel is like reflective of the process that I followed to get to that point um and so actually I decided right I'll withdraw from Wales and I'll go for a 70.3 first instead so looked at doing Weymouth and that was going to be my first 70.3 and prepared to the best of my ability in the time that I had and it was it was that uh, year where it was an absolute whitewash where the swim was shortened and so many people didn't turn up because of the the weather it was abysmal to start with I remember it well a tough tough year interesting wasn't it (laughs) I remember getting out getting it being relieved I got out of the swim because at one point I was just swimming along and it felt like it's like that titanic moment where you're in that suspension point and I could feel my arms almost going round and nothing in terms of water getting out on the bike and like tucking in on the aero bars just pretending to create my own little microclimate like you are warm it's a state of mind <laughs> looking you're at the still swimming as you cycle through the floods Oh, it might have well have been just the rivets coming down the road. I can literally just visualise the whole course in my head and just trying to avoid because I passed so many people with punctures. So I was trying to find where on the road was the clearest place to to actually cycle. There's no debris from all the trees. Thinking, please just get around. Please don't get a puncture. 
And yeah, I was running tubs on my wheels at that time as well. And I didn't fancy changing that at the side of the road. Despite all of that, you did very well. You finished seventh in your age group in Weymouth in 2018. And then you went on to win the age group in 2019 in Staffordshire 70.3. Yes. Yes, I did. You went on then to obviously take the the win in Staffordshire last week. You've raced at the 70.3 Worlds in Nice in 2019. First in your age group in Lanzarote 2019. You've raced the Cotswolds. You've raced duathlons and won them. And then, of course, you had the Outlaw Half first overall by just 29 seconds. Um, I know. <laughs> talk me through the Outlaw Half. I wasn't planning on racing triathlon this year as such well my race entries were all abroad so I've just been deferring them as as we've had information and had to make those dynamic decisions so outlaw we saw that there was I I only emailed them a couple of weeks beforehand speculatively because they had the elite start so I was in the qualifying criteria to be able to do that and they said yeah literally the day they were about to close it yes you, you can have a start over the past 18 months where I've had that consistency in training like I understand where I might be in terms of overall progression at this moment in time, but I haven't really put it together in a race situation yet. So Outlaw was going to be that first uh, opportunity to learn from how the process that I do in the day-to-day um, is where it, where it yields in terms of racing um, and then triangulate against that where I thought I could be just to see whether that is correct or not. And so it was like, okay, right, we've got like two weeks. So I think I was actually on my way back from Kum Khan from mountain biking and got the confirmation, yep, you can enter Outlaw. It's like, oh, I'm going to have to not mountain bike for a couple of weeks now, as I was, I was expected to do that for quite a lot of the summer. And so, no, I was really excited for the opportunity because it's such a class field at Outlaw as well. So the actual race, it's a really interesting one for me. I got out of the swim. And it wasn't a reflective swim. And I knew from when I saw Tom's face that the swim was well off where I needed to be. And he didn't have to say anything. I just knew. And I was like, I've got my work cut out now to make sure I can deliver on this race in the right way. And also, for me, the biggest turning point with that was I've got to make the right decisions and choices because there was no margin for error in terms of how I could then execute that race. I came out of the bike and I think I got a split and I was about six minutes or so down. So I, again, just had to bike my socks off. And it was it was quite cold. Again, so similar to Weymouth, it was colder than Weymouth. Um, and I, I don't actually ride with power. I don't ride with heart rate. I didn't actually have a Garmin on my bike at that race at all either. So the only sort of information that I had when I knew I was where I was on the bike course was when I got to the feed station at halfway through. And I was like, right now I need to keep picking it up. So I was just riding on intuition feel, which is how I train a lot as well. And I yeah, just so I just cracked on, got that, got that done and got back into I felt like I'd had quite a good bike split. I knew it was hard to gauge because where um, so I was able to like see where we are, but where we had the rolling start, you never really know where you are until you cross the finish line. So I came into transition and, oh gosh, that 29 seconds. So I managed to clip my shoe coming into transition and it fell off my bike. And I almost thought about going back and getting it and picking it up. And I was like, right, I'll work that out later. That's not a now problem. So got out on the run. I think at that point I was 
few minutes down and within the first lap um I think I made 90 seconds off on Megan and she was getting splits at the same time as well so started to eventually when it was three laps of that run course started to see her out with the lead bike and at some point so I was coming around and thinking oh I've nearly I can see them I can catch them they're in they're in that side that sort of that teasing distance and then it was like cat and mouse she was then going ahead and make it bridging a gap again I was like oh I don't know I don't know so I absolutely all I kept thinking was right nothing is decided until you cross the line keep getting to that point and and just dig in and I just had to I've never dug in so hard in a race before so that was a real test as well because I've never been in that situation of having to be like making those dynamic decisions as you race and actually being under that level of pressure to see what you could do in terms of of outcome so that was really exciting so I wouldn't say I'm a I'm not a competitive person so it wasn't about I want to win I want to to beat it it was more about that challenge of right can I how can I control like keep my head in check in terms of my mindset and the the thought processes I'm going through now and it was that sort of self-challenge against myself of she's an absolutely class athlete like her resume is incredible and it was right against such an athlete that caliber how can I make sort of calm rational decisions and choose to execute this race in the most accomplished way possible and it was just that jigsaw piece of putting it together within that race dynamic was just awesome. So how did you stop yourself from getting totally excited and overwhelmed when you saw the lead bike and that you were chasing down Megan and the lead bike and that you could keep your composure? Because I imagine one half of your brain is like, OK, don't go too hard. You still have a couple of laps to go or you still have a couple of K to go. And then the other one is like, well, if I reach her and I pass her, I could win this race. Like, how do you keep mm. your composure? I just had to. It was just that overarching thought in my head of nothing's decided until you cross the line. With, with the rolling start and I think where where I've developed like that level of intuition from training like I was just having trying to have that belief that I could that it wasn't at any point I didn't think I could sustain the pace and it was just keep sustaining that pace that I had and just that belief that I could find a little bit more I definitely could have went across the line but at that point in time I was like I didn't even think about I didn't actually think about not being able to sustain that pace. That was never anything. It was just, just keep going and, and just believe that you could do it and trust, trust the run, trust that you can back up that, that run off the bike. And that was it. That was just that belief. And it was just that, it was exciting as well to be in that dynamic and have that opportunity to race in that way. And going into the race, did you have expectation of what your performance would look like? So in terms of, I, I break my race goals down into process performance and outcome. And so I knew that there was a certain process that I needed to follow. And the first one was don't lose opportunity in the swim, which I did. So it was um, back to back to the drawing board. But that's a, the way I look at it is that process. So what are the things that I think that I should be doing in a race? And in terms of how I execute it, that could lead to a certain performance in terms of the time. So I roughly knew in terms of swim, bike, run, what I thought on my best day I might be capable of delivering. And then looking at that sort of information, then what could the outcome potentially be as a result of that? So that's how I break it down. So I did go with an outcome goal, but that was based on me having like the best day in terms of executing the process correctly. So that's how I then look back and evaluate 
the race. And again, with having that process driven approach, even if so, like it was 29 seconds, wasn't it? And I was still, apart from the swim, the process that I then followed afterwards was then how I'd evaluate that race in terms of overall success. So like, I'd rather be in a position where I'm testing myself against the best and not necessarily having the outcome, knowing that you've delivered a perfectly executed race. Um, yeah, so it's that sort of approach. It's not all about outcome. It's all about that process as well and how you manage that to actually deliver a race that is accomplished based on you as an individual rather than anything else and what people's conceived notions of success or accomplishment might look like. Can I come back to the point you made there, Lydia, with regards to not wearing a garment or not having heart rate or power or anything? How, number one, do you remain on pace and know that you're not pushing it too far? I know you mentioned there the perceived exertion, but for me, I would find it very difficult to think I had more in the engine if I was already overcooked, if I didn't have my watch on me to know that I I had more left in the tank, if you know what I mean. Um, mm. So there's that aspect of it. And then also the fact that you have a bike consultancy as well. Uh, I imagine that you're quite into your numbers and figures mm-hmm. and, and all that kind of stuff. Like, So how do you go back then and, and evaluate your race when you don't have the numbers to look at it? You only have what your recollection of the race is to look at it rather than the numbers. Bit of a loaded question there, really. <laughs> so I have, I did make one change to my bike from Outlaw to Staffs and I have put on a really, really basic Garmin just so I know elapsed time. That That's the only change that I've made. In terms of how I utilise, so I do train with some form of data. So when I train, like on, I don't have a power meter on my bike, but I will use the kicker for training and use the power information from from that I do cross-reference that with like my heart rate and RPE but also know that that can be different on different days as well I frequently do the same sessions again so you learn a lot from doing that consistently day in day out so you understand where those parameters may be based on like whether you're having a day where you might not have slept very well so your power might be down, your heart rate might be elevated. There's all these other factors that come into the equation. And it's trying from that to develop that level of intuition around it. So that's the process that I apply to, to my training. It's the same with a bike and a run. So I didn't run with a watch at Outlaw or staff either. It's just having that trust through the training that I do, knowing that I've prepared myself in the best way possible and learn from it as well. So from each training session, I do try and learn to tune into it. So really focus on how and why I'm doing what I'm doing. So it's that purposeful practice piece of there'll be some sessions I do and I'll be trying to dial into that race pace, how it feels. And those are all the things that I go through in my head when I'm racing. So it's how does that feel against how it might feel in training? What are those key points that I go through in terms of like the form? Does it feel relaxed? Am I, do I feel like I'm moving at that pace? And it's just developing that. It's just that consistency piece, I think, for me. It's that three years of applying the same process, mostly doing, doing quite similar sets, like a few variations of them, but you just acquire that knowledge. So I haven't really deviated much from what I do every single week as such. It's just the how and the why you do what you do. And I just had to trust myself, like in both those races, that I, I've learned enough about myself 
to be able to race without that. I know it's not for absolutely everyone. And I think in an Ironman, when I eventually do a full distance, I will utilise probably pace for the run to make sure that I'm not going off too hard in that first, like, well, it's a marathon, isn't it? It's quite far. So just to make sure I'm actually looking at that in the right way and actually pacing myself and will probably utilise that data because it's a totally different ball game to 70.3. And do you think, do we put too much emphasis on technology and wearing technology to track our progress? Do you think, is there a happy medium that we should come back with? I know when you when you race, you train in the heat, your heart rate can be elevated because of the heat and things like that. So you might be racing and your heart rate might be elevated or it might be excitement because of the race. But mm-hmm. if you trained to rate of perceived effort, it's a little bit maybe more of an experience of knowing what that feels like as opposed to relying on the technology to tell you how you're feeling. Yeah, I think it works both ways because it's also making sure that you're managing it, but also not setting yourself within like boxes. And so it's, it makes me giggle when people are like, oh, well, my this is my FTP and this is the power I do these certain sessions at. And they're always round numbers, aren't they? It's like 240 watts. No one says, oh yeah, this effort's at 237. We seem to like, round numbers and so it's for me it's yeah it's useful as an indicator and to benchmark to manage intensity and to understand your progression but it's also being open-minded and thinking that all right one day I might have like a bandwidth of 20 or 30 watts on another day do you know what for the effort that I'm trying to sustain that's my heart rate's too high and the power's not where I thought it's not getting stressed about it because I used to put a lot of emphasis on the success of a session for me was driven by numbers so I um, I was a bit at one time notorious for having slight like well, a little crying session on the what bike because for me I was thinking well I haven't hit that power therefore this session isn't a success so we went totally back to the drawing board and thought I stopped looking at my power numbers when I was training and then it was like, right, how do I evaluate the session? Well, because of X, Y, and Z, this felt like it was a well-executed, well-managed session and going back that way and then slowly building in thinking, right, well, if I go into it and I now just warm up and see where I'm at so I don't have any preconceived notions before I go into sessions, I then make sure I don't get emotional about that as well. And it's this is another, it's that longer-term picture as well. So it's that consistency over time. It's like one session doesn't define at all. It's like I've got a whole block to do. How well have I executed this whole block? How well have I executed the last like three months, the last six months? And looking at it in that way, in that whole holistic picture. And it's looking at, yeah, it's just how you frame it, I think is really important. And the emphasis that you put on hitting a certain pace or time or power, is it important in the grand scheme of things and how you manage it over the longer term? And the approach you take to how you train is probably more of more value. I think that's a really valid point that you make there because, you know, we can say a, a session can make or break us. It can put us in a good mood or a bad mood. But every session that we do potentially is adding to the to the level of strength and power that we're building and its consistency over time. So even if you do have a session where you don't feel like you've hit your numbers or that you've maybe not performed as well as you would have expected, you've still done more than you would have done if you hadn't done the session. 
I want to talk to you about progression very quickly as well, because you raced Staffordshire in 2019. You finished in five hours and 29 seconds. 29 seconds. 29 seconds. Feature (laughs) a lot in your life. Uh, But you did finish Staffordshire 70.3 this year uh, in four hours, 30, 33. So there was a 30 minute, over 30 Mm. minute improvement. Would you say that is because you were able to train more consistently during COVID without the added pressure of extra races taking place and you were able to peak for Staffordshire? Or would you say that it's a general performance improvement that you've just gotten better over time with consistency? Or a mix of both? I think it's both. So with not having, so having that consistency from the past 18 months of training, racing could be seen as an interruption almost because you're having to taper beforehand you then have the race and then you have the recovery and often when you're racing a couple of times in a year that's then a good few weeks of that tapering and recovery process which with not having any races to have peaked or recovered from I've then had that consistency so that's played a massive part in the equation and and like I said as well um with outlaw and staffs I wasn't specifically I knew I had a few more weeks between outlaw and staffs with knowing that I was racing but I hadn't specifically planned to race for either of those this year so I've just made sure with the training that I've been doing that I've kept myself in that like it's almost like a holding phase so I've been ready and and fit as such but also not being it's been a slightly interesting way of the approach to training that I've taken so I've also made sure I haven't not done things that aren't that are enjoyable I've taken the opportunity to gravel ride and mountain bike ride and like the week before in the Wednesday before outlaw I went out for a few hours on a Wednesday evening on my mountain bike like I'm sure a lot of people during build-up to a race like that would probably be I need to go and get my TT bike set done or try and get a specific session done but that added more value so it's think it's been the approach I've taken I've kept everything really really consistent I've kept it very focused very purposeful in terms of what I'm doing and and looking for how I can continue to learn from every single training session so I think that approach has really paid off in in this overall progression over this time and yeah it seems to done okay with with the result of staffs you did have some challenges that you faced with your health throughout that period from 2018 right to now um, with some issues with pulmonary embolisms. And I can't believe I managed to actually say that. that. (laughs) Aside from any challenges that we face as athletes in training and racing, having a medical issue to deal with on top of all of that can be quite stressful mentally and physically. Yeah, so it was, well, really unexpected. Uh, It was in, so 2019, so March, April time. And so this is when I was building to staffs. And so from Weymouth, 70.3, I'd seen quite a lot of people in Passion Fit had already qualified for Nice, the uh, World Championships. And that's when I thought that maybe when I came, like you said, seventh in my age group, or maybe if I continued with this process, that I might be able to qualify for, for Nice at staffs in 2019 and then go to Worlds in September. And so I'd come back from training in March, had a really great block out there. And then in April, started to get some issues with my breathing. And I know historically, I've I put myself under a lot of pressure, a lot of self-inflicted pressure. And it hasn't been odd for me to have some sort of like harder breathing as a result of this. So I thought I'd just put myself under pressure with the thought of 
trying to qualify for Nice and the emphasis that I put on that and being able to do that at staff. So initially I was like, right, that's probably self-inflicted. It's probably in your head. And it the pain did dissipate. So I thought maybe I'd also torn something. I remember walking through Argos with some deck chairs for my dad for his birthday and thinking I'd just stretched a little bit wider than my actual arm span could could cope with. And then the pain, it was it was quite severe pain. So it was a combination of things. And then it went. So I was like, okay, maybe it was just either a slight little muscle thing or you were just yeah, stressing yourself out a little bit more than you needed to. And it then happened again on the other side of my lungs, exactly the same location again, but just on the left side instead of the right. And I thought, okay, this isn't quite okay now. And went to the doctors and they did a chest X-ray and they said, there's some slight shadowing, but it could just be like a little infection. And I did say, isn't it a bit odd that it's traversed both sides? But they're like, no, it's all right. And again, similar sort of thing. There was this massive amount of pain and then it just went. So I was like, okay, well, it's, it's another one of those things. And then it happened for a third time. And this time I was like, I should probably go and get this sorted. Now it was, it was the worst out of all three. Like I could barely, like just existing was hard work. It was really bad. And I uh, decided to go to hospital and quickly they did D-dimer test and my clotting uh, levels were just so elevated. They're beyond anything else. And I remember even getting morphine injected and it didn't even touch the sides. I was just sat there and just like, that didn't, didn't do anything at all. And um, so it turned out, yeah, so I'd had the pulmonary embolism. So this was about six weeks out from staffs. I had no idea what had caused it. So there was no underlying medical conditions, nothing in terms of my family and history of it. There's nothing I was on medication wise that would cause it. So there was, it was totally classed as an unprovoked pulmonary embolism. So there's a lot of uncertainties were working through this as well, because I was very concerned about like, what, why has it happened at the age of, I think I was like 27, 28, I shouldn't be sat having a conversation with my grandma about which blood thinner she's on and the pros and cons of all of this. But also it created so much uncertainty because it was questions like, right, can I train again? Is it safe for me to train uh, with being on blood thinners? Is it safe for me to go and ride a bike outside? And all of these other things I started to have to work through. And I wasn't sure again, if I'd be able to race ever again, would it be safe for me to race a triathlon? So at that point, I wasn't even considering whether I'd get to the start line at staffs at all. That was out of the question for me. So I made sure I did throw myself into other ways because at this point, it didn't mean that just because I wasn't training, just because there wasn't the opportunity possibly to race, it didn't mean I couldn't look for ways to develop as an athlete or a person. So what within that time frame. I kept thinking, I was like, right, what do I want to look back on this? And how do I want to look and think I've made the most of that, of the opportunities that were there, rather than, oh, well, there's no point in continuing with coaching. There's no point in like bothering with turning up to group run and, and seeing people. And actually, it was right. There's so many ways that I can learn so I can help others. There are a few people building for Ironman Lanzarote at that time. I can go out and do water stops on their, their journeys. And um go to group run I can learn about how people are running and just pick up on coaching and just still be part of the community and culture and whilst I was working through all this process and it actually added so much back to me as well because I was able to get different there's so many the diversity of people so high that everyone's got a sort of different perception of what they can add to it and they helped me to work through that process of uncertainty and still feel like I was like part of something and 
helped to keep me really, really level and work out different concepts I could utilize to actually manage it in a way that it was still a good. I don't look back at that time and think, oh, that was awful. I mean, it was a massive shock that I'd I'd had those blood clots and I was incredibly tired initially. And it was also that realization for me was I cannot believe that I'd become so focused and on the wrong side of focused that I had convinced myself that that was in my head and that I'd put so much emphasis on the outcome of getting a world slot. I'd been, I remember a treadmill set I did and I just, I managed to get through it and I should have stopped. And again, it's looking back and you realise all of these things now, but you kind of then do question, well, I've definitely fallen the wrong side of the line here and I've fallen into obsessed um, in terms of my training and approach that I've been training with blood clots in my lungs several times. And you then realise the catastrophic consequences that could have happened as a result of that. So that for me was a massive turning point in I need to make sure that however I approach my training, that triathlon enhances my life in in, in the right way. And that was that real massive realisation about how many different ways triathlon can enhance your life just because you're not training or focusing on a race, but being part of the community and giving something back and just learning from people around you. But I did manage to work through like the more the logistical side of of the blood clots and what I could do in terms of the next bit. So I did start to do a little bit of like swimming again, started cycling indoors. I did make it to stacks and get to that start line. And um, can I ask, where did that intrinsic level of pressure come from that you were putting on yourself? Were you always putting yourself under pressure when you were growing up as a kid as well and through college and stuff? Was it something that you'd always done or was this something that was because you were getting competitive or wanted to be competitive maybe or at the pointy end of business with triathlon was it something that had just developed when you took up sport or was it always there it, it's always been there so it's like I said earlier I wouldn't don't class myself as competitive at all but that level of self-inflicted pressure is I've always it's always something I've done so whether it's been around uh, exams and preparation for that and just having those sorts of standards against myself it's always being there. I'm not it is more intrinsically driven I don't necessarily know what drives it as such I've always been that sort of person that I will yeah put a lot of pressure on myself to to do as well as I think I can what's changed now I think it's my outlook of understanding what how I want to be as an athlete and like that travel should be enhancing the whole of my life and it's it's that balance, isn't it, between not focusing on outcome as such, but like I said earlier, it's that linking back to that process and performance. And for me, it's always, I, I really just, I love the process of training. Every morning I get up, I'm excited to just train. And it's because it's more of that challenge and the piece around it. So I love like that problem solving element of it, of how can you put these three disciplines and everything else that comes into it, so recovery and like your equipment choices and nutrition, how can you put all of that together to execute a certain race on a certain day? And then what do you learn from that as well? So there's always that learning opportunity. I think it's embracing that level of curiosity. And I've always been quite inquisitive around loads of different aspects. And that's what excites me. It's, it's like, it's, I'm, I love like those moments of achieving the outcome, crossing the finish line at staffs is amazing. But it's every single day. That's the feeling you get. It's like a finish line feeling every day when you're like, right, what was I've learned from today? What can I do better tomorrow? 
how can I continue to can, like improve and how work towards being the sort of best version of myself, not just as an athlete, but personally and professionally. And that's the, that's the piece that I love. So it was a realizing that it's not just for that one moment in time of shooting for that outcome, but this is a constantly evolving journey if you want it and it never ends. And how has your definition of success changed over the years? Um, I think it's when you when you look back on yourself, it's like, have you been the best version of you that you could have been? And what that looks like is different for absolutely everyone across the board. So that's whether how you like you behave, you conduct yourself and all of these other aspects. That's probably my biggest turning point is what's my own definition of accomplishment? How does that look? And that's what's that look like relative to my start point and own levels of potential as well. And also that balance of what it is that I want to achieve for myself and um, and how I can help to positively like help others around me as well. So it's all of this quite multifaceted in terms of what success really is. And I think as society, we look at people who are successful and we look at those who have achieved outcome or they've got loads of money or you know, like all of the high powered jobs. And that's not necessarily success as such. And it's right as an individual, what does success mean to you and what's your level of accomplishment? And it's being really, really clear about that. And I think that's quite important. That's probably what's changed my perception is what is actual accomplishment to me. Yeah. And interesting enough, um, you have done a lot to give back to your community as well. And you are fully embraced in the sporting life because you left your corporate job and you have set up your own company, Phoenix Evolution, which is going from strength to strength. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So over the past 12 months or so, so it was again, that moment with lockdown and Okay, so things are very different. What do I want to do in 12 months time? How do I want to look back at this and think, okay, we're in a pandemic. There is so much going on and it's not missing opportunities or making the most of things that are there. So I I love cycling. I love bikes. And I had no idea when I first bought that road bike that where I'd be right now. Like I know if someone had said to me in 2009, oh, guess what? You'll have... Um, this on 22nd of July, you'll be sat on Joe Murphy's podcast and talking about staffs and an outlaw and what you've achieved with, with the Passion Fit community over this time. I just said, nah, not a chance. So it was, we all start riding a bike because everyone wants to enjoy it. And you just have no idea where that's going to take you. So for me, setting up Phoenix Evolution, which is looking at bike fitting as well as consultancy, was right. How can I create that space that's accessible and approachable? to help as many people with their bikes as possible because there's there's too many things there's a few things really I, I haven't really come across any other female bike fitters so for me it was really important about how can I help women in cycling um but equally it's just creating that space where it's actually approachable like I think there's this preconceived idea that you have to have a bike fit you need to be fast actually anyone who has a bike needs a bike fit it's as simple as that and it's making sure that there was that space there for people to be able to come and let me help them. It made me so happy when people have come in and they said, I just can't get on with this bike. I'm not comfortable. I'm, I'm about to stop cycling. I'm like, no, please don't. I can help. Like, let me help you to, to resolve that. And they've gone out and they've, we've, we've sorted them out with a few different adjustments. And it can be really simple changes. 
And they then gone out and they've emailed me back and said, I've changed my own stem over. And that's something that's really important is just it's not just a bike fit. It's how to help people learn and impart some of the knowledge that I've acquired, acquired over the years. And I've been fortunate that people have helped me to develop that and email back and saying, yeah, I've changed my stem. I've gone out. I absolutely loved it. And that's just just brilliant. So that's what I was like. Right. Well, I. I was thinking I'm in a really good position in work. Like I am in a really great company. It's a really nice corporate, FTSE 100. But I was thinking, right, in 10 years time, I don't want to look back and think, what if? I was kind of at a point where I could make a couple of different decisions and thought, actually, in 10 years time, I'd rather be in a boardroom again thinking, what if, rather than, oh, do you know what? I might be back here, but at least they give it a shot. But you also have to back yourself and think, well, you won't be back there um, if you're really, really going for it. So I was like, okay, let's go, let's go with it. I can I feel like I can help people and want to help people with with bike fitting. So I'm going to start Phoenix Evolution. Fantastic. Well, I only have a couple more questions for you. First one is, what do you think was the biggest changing point for you in your life so far? Oh, that's quite a question, isn't it? Mm. Um, well, I think coming back to the blood clots, that was definitely a part of it but I think the biggest changing point for me has been in the last yeah 12 18 months where I've really decided what what it is how do I want to look at my future and just go for it and make it happen rather than sitting and talking about it which I think I probably fall into the danger of a lot was like actually I'm going to yeah sell my house and leave my job and set up my own business in the middle of a pandemic that's quite a big um, jump to make at that point in time and, and see like, see where it goes it's, it's like doing a triathlon for the first time yeah <laughs> all three things <laughs> I mean even thing the thing is as well though when you, when you look back of all of those sorts of sliding doors moments that none of this would be possible I wouldn't be sitting where I am today if I hadn't made that decision to enter Ironman Wales hadn't made the decision to do and fortunate enough to have found passion fit coaching because ultimately, when you look back at all of those decisions, you can always make different decisions over time. And it's those weird moments, isn't it? When you look back and think, if I'd have made a different decision on that day, or if I'd have done like something slightly differently, this might not have happened. But when you track it back and go back through, it's like, actually, when I started to make that decision of I need to do something with my life, it probably comes back to 2018, that moment I decided to enter Ironman Wales. That's probably the biggest turning point. And then I've just been so fortunate to be part of a community that's facilitated and Help me to like live a totally different lifestyle and see that you can like yeah totally change it in a different way from the trajectory I was going along that wasn't providing me with that sort of level of fulfillment excitement and it wasn't anything wrong but it, I knew there was something more and it's having the people to surround and inspire you with that can help to achieve that. Two more questions for you and they're on the back of what you've just said there. The first one is when are you going to do Ironman Wales? Oh gosh, <laughs> you can't get entries these days, can you? <laughs> might be so, twenty twenty five. You could do it on your ten year anniversary, twenty twenty eight. Oh crikey! I, it could I'd be, love it could to be do a it. world champion by that stage, though. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, so the second part of the question I want to ask you was: um, you have stamped your pro license uh, time ticket. So, is there a plan to go pro, or what is the plan? Yeah, so I I didn't actually realise that Outlaw was a gateway event. Um, so I've got the opportunity if I wanted to take it over the next twelve months to to raise a pro license. Um, at at the moment, I'm just going to do what I have been doing, which is just be patient 
and see if the right opportunity comes at the right time for the right reasons. Longer term, I mean, it would be absolutely amazing to to race professionally, but we'll see. I know there's a lot of like development athletically and personally that I need to do before I feel like I'm ready to make that step. But yeah, I mean, just to have met the criteria is more than I ever thought that I'd be able to achieve. And especially at the age of 30 as well. You think by this sort of moment in time that you might not have that opportunity ever again. Or I thought that because I'm not a certain age that that would never be anything that was feasible. So we'll see. Yeah, it's just exciting to have the potential there if it's if it's the right thing to do. An exciting time for sure. My final question, who or what have been the biggest inspirations and influences in your life to date? Tom's going to want me to say Tom, isn't he? (laughs) He paid me to ask that question. That doesn't surprise me at all. Um, do you know what? Actually, it's not. It's not Tom. To me, like Lauren has been absolutely inspirational. She, the way she's so tenacious with the way she leads the passion fit community, the culture she creates every single day. She is absolutely relentless and does just goes above and beyond for everyone. Like the amount she puts back into that community is just incredible. And being able to, I. I honestly have no idea how she does what she does in a day. Like she is so diligent as a coach. I've never known anyone who cares as much as Lauren does. And that's just to see that is just inspirational. So I always aspire to be a little bit more like her because she is just so good with people and how much she puts back into creating this incredible community and environment. Thank you so much, Lydia, for joining me on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure to get just a small insight into your journey in sport. And I wish you every success for the future. And hopefully I'll get to call you down a finish line somewhere over the coming months. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget you can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. I'd love to connect on social media. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. Pop by, say hi. Let me know what you think of the show. Do go on send me a message. I love to get them. If you are new to Try Talking Sport, please do check out some of our previous episodes. You will be impressed and inspired by our guests. Until next time, stay safe, keep smiling and remember to look for fun and adventure in every day.